Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience, and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. I'm your host, Paul Furlong. Just a quick reminder that my book, Rule the World, Master the Power of Storytelling to Inspire, Influence and Succeed, is now available. You can get hold of your copy in all good bookshops, including Amazon and Kindle, Waterstones and WH Smith in the UK, Barnes and Noble in the US, and all good bookshops throughout the rest of the world. Anyway, without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce you to today's guest, Dorian Harhoff, a South African Namibian poet who facilitates creative writing and storytelling workshops and acts as a one-on-one writing mentor. In a past life, Dorian was a professor of English literature in Namibia, and Dorian now tinkers his trade in the street markets of the world. Mythology, creation spirituality, whole brain theory, the new physics, narrative therapy, Ubuntu, eco and Jungian psychology, and the poetic tradition influences writing and work. Dorian, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Look forward to talking to you. So I've given you a, uh, a little bit of an introduction there, but why don't you take just a few more minutes to tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself? Excellent. So I was born in 1944. I'm not sure. It might have been 1494. So like Tennyson's Ulysses, I'm a part of all that I've met. I love Lawrence Durrell, who says, nothing is lost, sweet self, nothing is ever lost. So it looked like 
all we have done with our lives comes in to support what we are doing now. So briefly, academic, a lifeline counselor. I was going to be a minister when I was younger, but I was too perhaps randy and rebellious. But a lot of people have said that my work is a metaphoric ministry, if you, if you like, which I've been doing for the past 25 years. Uh, Rumi uh, says somewhere, um, I have told so many stories that I have become fiction. And I think that, that perhaps applies uh, to me. And I'll probably answer you, your questions, through stories, rather than talking about stories. So stories have, have woken me up. It's, the, it's a child who asks her father, is it true that when you're asleep, you can wake up? And father says, of course it is, my child. Then says the little girl, it must also be true that when you are awake, you can wake up more. And I think that's what stories are about. I love that. I think this is going to be uh, a fascinating conversation. And uh, <laughs> I think by the end of it, my head might explode, but I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> So Excellent. In, in your introduction, there were a number of um, there are a number of uh, definitions, and I think uh, some of them I, I, I knew, some of them I've had to research. And I wonder if uh, maybe through stories you might be able to unpack each of them for us. So why don't we start with mythology? It's a word that we hear an awful lot. Um, but why don't you tell us what fascinates you about mythology and maybe unpack it a little bit as to what mythology means to you? Super. It's a stories writ large across the universe. Uh, Joseph Campbell, one of the great mythic giants, has had a huge influence on my thinking. And there are timeless stories which never were but always will be. I like to distinguish between minor myths which consolidate the tribe. Uh, that would be a group lie. It's us, them. I'm in, you're out and major mythology, which is to console. We're all in. And it's stories to help us make sense of our life in time. And that stories talk to individual experience. Uh, it's like a banquet. Um, you take from that end of the table, I take from this, and we are both fed. I think on my tombstone, perhaps someone will write, don't get ahead of the story. That's what he said because it's about being in the present moment, which is expansive. And myths tend to expand us. They make us dimensional. They make us huge and small at the same time. There's the paradox. And do you have a favorite myth or a myth that you tell regularly or one that, you, um, that has had a, a huge impact on your life? Well, the different creation mythologies which all are different in detail, but essentially answering the big why and why are we here. There is a Zulu myth, for example, about God sending the chameleon to tell us that we can live forever. And the chameleon takes its time. It looks this way, it looks that way. And God gets impatient and sends a snake, tell them they have to die. And the snake gets there first. That's why we die. And uh, creation spirituality is something that, you, that I mentioned in your, your introduction. So 
is creation spirituality the same as the creation mythology that Joseph Campbell talks about, or is or is there a slight difference there between the two? I think it's a way of being in the world, and it's eclectic because the mystics, whatever faith, talk the same language. It's don't look at the finger, don't look at Buddha, Christ, Moses, Muhammad. Look at where they're pointing, and they're pointing to that great mystery. And it's the sense of us not being more important than animals or trees. We belong to something larger. Matthew Fox, of course, uses the term creation spirituality. He's a, a renegade Catholic priest. And if you take a one something that one of the mystics has said, God is the breath inside the breath. I challenge anybody to tell me what faith that comes from. It happens to be Kaber, a 15th century Hindu mystic. And perhaps a story, there is a disgruntled monk, and the head monk says to him, go and take a fistful of salt, put it in this glass of water and drink it. What does that taste like? Ah, that's salty. Well, says the monk, now take the same amount of salt, put it in the lake, dip your glass into the lake and drink that. What's that? That's sweet. That's how it tastes. Well, says the head monk, the difference is the container. And so in creation spirituality, you're working in a huge container in which everything is. And the next thing in your introduction was whole brain theory. Talk to me about that. For a long time, I think we have been dominated by the left brain, the logical, the factual, and the right creative, intuitive one almost needs an affirmative action program. But it's balancing those. It's opening the doors of the corpus callosum because stories speak to the conversation between the head and heart. I once wrote a poem about head and heart deciding to meet, so they traveled a small way and they met in the voice box cafe uh, of the throat, and they had their conversation there. So it's that sense of balance. And is there a way that we can uh, bring bring the, the two together? Is, is the exercises that we can do, is, the, um, is there a different way of thinking? What, how can we bring the two together more? I think they come together in play. There's a sense of creating and crafting, which are two aspects of storytelling or of writing. And it's perhaps beginning in the creative, the dream brain, and then beginning to work in structure. I think structure emerges from our creative, intuitive impulses. And then we restructure it and create shape as a Mozart symphony is contained within the right and the, and the left brain. That's fascinating. And um, how does new physics fit into all of this? In fact, what is new physics and how does it fit into what you've talked about so far? For me, it's the subatomic world. It's the spider web, which connects all things. Uh, if you think of an atom, there's the nucleus, which is the size of a rugby ball, and the emptiness, the vast emptiness, which is the size of the rugby field. And it's understanding that we live in a synchronous universe. So something that happens here is echoed a thousand miles away. So it's that subliminal underneath the other physics. And once again, we need both. 
So it's almost like the new physicists talk in the same way as the mystics talk. So we're kind of coming full circle from the from the scientists back to the mystics. And then into the science, just purely to describe something scientifically, you're going to be writing poetry. It's amazing, isn't it? Because for for centuries now, people have said that science can't coexist with spirituality and mysticism. And some people have said that mystics and spirituality can't coexist with science. And are we? Do you do you believe that we're coming back to the place where the two can coexist and are no longer mutually exclusive? Yes, I think we are coming back. There's a book that came out years ago called The Physics of Angels. It's a conversation between Matthew Fox and Rupert Sheldrake, who spoke about morphogenic fields. And the ones they talk about the, the light, and one will say angels are instant and everywhere, and the other one will say, well, you're talking about the quality of light. It's instant and everywhere. So in those new conversations, we find belonging. Amazing. And um, what is narrative therapy? A story. When I was training teachers, I noticed that whatever I did, they, when they got into the classroom, they reverted to how they had been taught. And in most cases, that was horrendous. They became tin pot dictators. They were abusive to the children. And I thought, what's happening? Then I suddenly cottoned on. Their own story was getting in the way of a new story. So I said, tell me. Tell me about your learning, your schooling. And one student said, it was, you know, horrible. How do I, you know, deal with that grief? I said, why are you becoming a teacher? He says, to stop that. I said, that is a different story. So you're moving the story from victim to survivor, and now you're creating at a third level a new story. So it's restoring, if you like. And I think of James Hillman, that maverick Jungian, who says the first task is restoring the adult in order to restore the imagination to its primary place in consciousness in each of us. And he says, my interest in story is something lived in and lived through, a way in which the soul finds its life. So it's coming up where the story no longer works. We might be in a trapped story. You begin to work out how can we create a new story that does work? How can we induce movement out of stuckness? And that would be narrative therapy. So I tend to hang out as the storyteller with a lot of narrative therapists who were working in this way. Uh, Hillman also said, I can't, I'm not going to change you. I'm going to change the story you tell about yourself. I think that's the heart of it. I'm very powerful. Yes, indeed. And you've just mentioned uh, someone who is a Jungian psychologist. So talk me through eco and Jungian psychology, which you mentioned in your, in your bio. Well, Jung, it's the, when we work in stories, we work in metaphor. A story for me is an extended metaphor. And a metaphor is a ladder between the conscious and the unconscious mind. Coming back to myth, Jung said somewhere, um, I suspected that myth had a meaning, which I was bound to miss if I lived apart from it in the haze of my own speculation. 
I was compelled to ask myself, what is the myth you were living? I simply had to know what unconscious and pre-conscious myth was shaping me, what kind of rhizome I arose from. So we are born into somebody else's story of us. And if you come from an authoritarian culture, the religious authorities, the government, the parents, the school tell you who you are. And that's not your story. And we need jerk our way, living these unconscious stories. And if we can make them conscious, we can become selective about it. You know, for example, in my first marriage, I married a woman. She was just seven years younger than I, but it was very much a father-daughter relationship. Now, why would I do that? Well, if I look at my parents' marriage, my father was 30 years older than my mother, and she was 14 of 15 children. And her father, my grandfather, was an alcoholic. So what was my mother looking for in a husband? A father figure. So it's not spoken about, but it's in the atmosphere of the home. It's what you eat at mealtime. It hangs around. And you think that's how you do it. And it's an unprocessed story. So you do it. And of course, it doesn't work. And when we become selective about our stories, I want this for my parents' marriage. I don't want that. We are born into our own story. That, for me, is the second birth. And so that, that's, the, that's the Jungian psychology. Is that also the eco-psychology, or is that something that's slightly different? A story. There is a pilgrim. She travels all day, and she comes to a shrine bone-weary. And she lies down on her back. She picks up her feet and crosses them on one of the statues. And the custodian hustles out and says, do you mind removing your feet? The statue is holy. And she is still lying on her back with her feet on the shrine, says, yes, I will, Father. But can you please place my feet on some place that is not holy? So that, for me, would bring ecology and Jung um, together. I'm starting to see how all of these elements come together for you. A couple of other, um, I think there's two left from your introduction. So um, tell me a little bit more about poetic tradition and how that influences your work. When I was 11, my father died of a heart attack and an aunt, a maiden aunt who was living with us, took me aside and said, we're going to write a poem about that. And that was my first poem. Now, coming back to the idea of narrative therapy, at one level, there I was, the death of my father at age 11. The other story is writing my first poem about the death of my father at the age 11. And so tapping into an ancestral tradition, I believe that we don't only have blood ancestors. Uh, if you're a poet, you have poetic ancestors. And I've been greatly influenced by Hopkins, who was born exactly 100 years before I was to the day. And Hopkins says, where we are wound round and round with mercy, as if with air. And so you absorb these rhythms, you absorb these people through osmosis. And the tradition goes back 4,000 years to the early, early Egyptian poets, for example. And so you belong and you are writing within that, that uh, tradition. And um, it carries you at the same time you're innovating, you're moving it where you are needing to go. But it's like you are guided by these voices. 
And then the last uh, description that you have in your bio is something that, that I love and something that I use in in our teams that we work with and in our uh, the training, some of the training that we deliver, which is Ubuntu. Um, I absolutely love this. Could, could you tell us um, what Ubuntu is and um, and how that influences you and the work that you do? Yes, sure thing. Uh, just a minute, uh, just to carry on a little bit about the uh, the voice. I mentioned voice. It's your thumbprint, and nobody has your voice. And if you're silent, then your voice is not heard in the choir. I think of the Gospel of Thomas, one of the Gnostic Gospels that didn't make the first team. There's a text there. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth, what you do not bring forth will condemn you. So there's personal responsibility. And I think in finding our voice, I come back to Meister Eckhart, who says, become aware of who you are. Announce it, pronounce it, and give birth to it. That 13th century uh, mystic, Meister Eckhart. So the Ubuntu, Ubuntu, of course, means a person is a person because of other people. And it's, we are storytellers because we are part of bigger stories. So it's, it's a community. There is a rabbi who is new, and people come to him with their questions. Why did my child die? Why did my wife run off with this young man? Why, why, why? And he can't answer the questions. So he makes contact with his teacher, the great rabbi, who says, I will come and answer their questions. And there's a great buzz in the community because the great rabbi is coming. And they're all assembled in the synagogue. The great rabbi enters. He bows to the Torah, he bows to the people, and then he says, ask your questions and I will answer. And the first one asks the question, and Rabbi says, I'm going to hold that question until everybody has asked their question. And they think, how is he going to remember? But one by one, they ask their questions. No more questions, eventually there is silence. The Rabbi begins to rock. And he sings a niggin, he hums a niggin, a tune to induce a prayerful attitude. And they look at each other, this vast congregation, and they begin to rock and hum as well. Then the rabbi gets up and he starts dancing. They look at each other, they get up and they start dancing. The rabbi comes to stillness, so do the people. He bows to the Torah, he bows to the people. He says, I have answered your questions. And he leaves. So that would be an Ubuntu story for me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Amazing. I love all of the things that you've just described. So how do you pull all of those together? All of the, the mythology, the creation, spirituality, the whole brain theory, the new physics, the narrative therapy, the Ubuntu, the eco and Jungian psychology and the poetic tradition to help those around you in your day-to-day work? Paul, in one word, story. Huh. A story contains all of those. If I tell you a story, if I tell you facts, I mean, I did some work uh, training tourist guides in a game park in storytelling. And the guide told me about how much an elephant weighs. I can't remember. He told me how much the elephant eats. I can't remember. And then he told me, you get white elephants. I said, what? He said, yes. In the dry season, the elephant sprays the white dust all over itself. It becomes white. I remember that. He says, you get grass growing out of the back of an elephant. I said, yes. In the wet season, it throws the mud onto its back with its trunk, mud rise, grass grows. I remember that. And so story, if I tell you a story, your brain lights up like a Christmas tree. It is the intuitive faculty, the reason faculty, language faculty, all those things coming together. And I suppose that is why all leaders of faith have been storytellers. Because when you tell a story, you place authority in the heart of the listener. I can't tell you what the story means. My religious education as a child was, here's this amazing story. This is the meaning that you have to get to. No, no. Story opens, opens, and it talks to our experience. It talks to wherever we are in our lives. And it talks at an individual level and at a communal Ubuntu level as simultaneously. So how do we go about then? Obviously, I've, I've talked to lots of people on the podcast and we've talked about structure and we've talked about um, all the different ways that we can um, build a story. I've never spoken to anyone about new physics when it comes to story. I've not spoken to someone about Ubuntu and incorporating that into a story. So how do we bring all of these elements? How do we learn and become um, aware of all of these elements when we're planning our stories or when we're telling our stories? What's the, what's the way that we can make sure that we incorporate all of these things into our storytelling? I think that we begin to do it when we begin to see ourselves as a character in our own story. There is a sense we love fiction because we are fiction. I also think of the physicist Brian Swim, who I interviewed when I did my book on the writer's voice, where he, he has a book called The Universe Story, and another one, The Universe is a Green Dragon. And he says that science will be taught as a story, the evolving story of the, the universe. So it's beginning to look for it everywhere. And I find the more I live in story, the less I live in judgment. And it seems that when I work in creativity and imagination, there's a formula, C plus I equals H. Creativity, 
and imagination equals healing. It's like happiness. You don't go in search of it. It's a byproduct when you're doing something else. And so healing gets curious and comes in to listen to the conversation between creativity and imagination. I think of Joan of Arc in front of her accusers and somebody says to her, you say you hear the voice of God speaking to you. How do you know it is not just your imagination? And Joan of Arc says, how would God speak? But through the imagination. And when I use the word God, I use it in a, a huge, not knowing, unknowing, cloud of unknowing sense. But that sense of some spiritual force, energy within the universe. And I also believe that when we begin to work in story, we can begin to create our own belief system. And it doesn't necessarily have to be factually true for me to believe in it. If I believe in something that changes my perception, that makes me more generous, more conscious, more community-orientated, let it in. So that your belief bubble can be, what if? Let's pretend. And if it improves the quality of life, you can hold it as a metaphor. And I think it's beginning to pay attention to these things. And then they start coming to us. I love that. And I love that creativity plus imagination equals healing. I wonder if um, some of the people who lead some of the, uh, the nations around the world were to become a little bit more creative or a little bit more imaginative, uh, we might see uh, a little bit more healing around the world. Indeed, indeed. Because the imagination creates reality. It's, it's almost, that's why Coleridge talks about the primary imagination and its huge possibilities. And Einstein talking about imagination is one of the, one of the highest faculties that leads to all kinds of possibilities. And that brings us back to where we were before talking about the kind of the crossover of science and creativity and imagination and spirituality again, doesn't it? The, uh, yes. what we were talking about before with the new physics and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned there your book, the writer's voice. Tell me, um, you're an expert in helping a writer find their voice. How does a writer start to find their voice when it comes to storytelling? I think it's beginning to trust that you have a voice and that your voice will be different from everybody else's. I think the nicest thing that has been said to me in 25 years, 30 years of teaching writing is, you help it to sound like me. And it goes back to that Meister Eckhart quotation. If you bring uh, the, the idea of become aware of who you are, announce it, pronounce it, and give birth to it. And it's very often regaining our confidence because something like school has knocked it out of us. I sometimes play around with the seven habits of highly and happy writers. And then we supplant them with the seven habits of highly happy writers with apologies to just Stephen Covey. And it's beginning to claim that space and then beginning to trust in it and beginning to observe I often tell people, on the back of your window of your writing or storytelling car, you have three L's. The one L is learner, the other one is looker, and the other one is listener. 
Rocco says our looking ripens things. They come to meet us and be met. And listening, um, Rumi, the branches of your intelligence groaning new leaves on the wind of this listening. The branches of your intelligence grow new leaves on the wind of this listening. So it's coming home to yourself. Out of that emerges all kinds of possibilities. So as we're as we're listening, as we're looking, and as we're as we're learning, what should we be listening out for? What should we we be looking for to help us find that voice within as we start to build that confidence that the voice is is already there? Observation of the world, of the natural world, looking at the mystery and the miracle and beginning to tune into that. Quite often, I think it begins with description. You describe, and out of the description, you move into other, other territory. I, uh, I also think it's about immersing yourself, as in this story. Uh, incidentally, every Saturday morning during COVID, and even during COVID every day, I put out a short quotation and a short, short story. And the recent one was about a Japanese sumo wrestler who leaves the ring undefeated and he wants to become a hermit. So he goes to a remote place and he builds a little hut next to a lake. Now, an ambitious young man in search of him, wanting answers, comes to visit him and they're standing next to the lake. And the Japanese sumo wrestler says, why have you come? And the young man says, I want to learn from you. I want to make a difference. Like what, says the, the wrestler. So the man picks up a pebble and he throws it into the lake. And there's a little ripple like that. No, says the sumo wrestler, not like that. So the man picks up a rock and throws that into the lake. And there's a bigger splash and a bigger ripple like that. No, not like that. Well, how then, is the, says the frustrated young man. The sumo wrestler picks him up and hurls him into the middle of the lake. And there's a mighty splash and waves begin from the ripple. He says, like that. So it's inhabiting, putting yourself into the story. I love that. I think, I think we've, uh, we've seen that throughout uh, our conversation today, that it's all about the kind of the, being in the story and the stories that we tell ourselves and just being a whole part of that storytelling world, not being on the outside of it, but being fully immersed. Uh, is is going to be key to this finding your voice and being living story as as you demonstrate every day. And the choice is also as to how we will interpret our story. And the key word is choice. That we can take whatever story it is and turn it into the one we want to do. You can tell the same story as a tragedy, as a comedy, as an irony, depending on how you're going to angle it where you are um, coming in from. And so to take care of that, to make the choices that are going to grow, sustain, expand us, rather than to shrink us, to get us, get us stuck. I love that. Now, Dorian, I'm, I'm aware of time, so I'd love to ask you a few quick fire questions, if, if that would be okay. Sure thing. So... When you hear the word story, 
who do you think of and why do you think of that individual or those individuals? I, I think, as I said, of the, all, all the spiritual leaders who are storytellers and who then place authority in the heart of the, of the listener. And I think of, obviously, we learn from fiction. One of my great teachers is fiction, where you see alternative ways of being and seeing, and we are led into that world, which is as real as real. So I think that's what story opens up for me. It's this vast yet intimate home. I think of Rumi, who says, ever since I heard my first love story, I have been looking for you. And who is the you? It's me, it's you, it's our ancestors, it's the creatures, the... it's all of us. We're all in that. Do you have a fa- just out of interest? Do you have a favorite um, spiritual story from any of the spiritual leaders? Wow, how long have you got, Paul? <laughs> well, here is one uh, that I love because it speaks to my calling. Uh, the Baal Shem Tov, the great rabbi, calls his disciples and he gives them their work. And he says to Gabriel, Gabriel, you will be the storyteller. And Gabriel says, that's fine. How long do I have to go on? When can I stop telling stories? And the rabbi says, you'll know. And the rabbi dies, and Gabriel goes out throughout Europe telling stories. One day, he hears of a rich man in Siena who is offering good money for new stories about the great rabbi, the Baal Shem Tov. And so he thinks, this is my chance. So he hastens to Siena through the streets, And there's a great banquet, and there is the host welcoming him. And after the meal, he stands up, does Gabriel, opens his mouth, and not one word comes out of his mouth. And the host is visibly shaken. He says, perhaps it is because you've traveled. Let's try tomorrow morning. So there's another great feast. At the end of the feast, the man nods to Gabriel. He stands up, opens his mouth, nothing comes out. The man is trembling. As he leaves Siena, he comes to the outskirts, he comes to a boarded up house, and suddenly he remembers a story that he has never told. And he and the Shaf had been visiting a community and it was all boarded up. So he rushes back as fast as he can, and there's the man weeping, and he stands before him and he says, I have this story. Years ago, we went to this boarded-up place, and the Baal Shem Tov sought entrance. People said, go away. There is a persecuting priest here, and he'll get you like he's getting us. But the rabbi entered, and he sent me to find the priest. And do you know, the priest came. And they were closeted together for half an hour, an hour, more, who knows. And when the man came out, he was visibly shaken. The host takes Gabriel by the shoulders and says, do you not recognize me? I was that priest. I was born Jewish. In order to be safe, I converted to Christianity. In order to be more safe, I became a priest. In order to be even more safe, I became a persecuting priest. And when the Baal Shom Tov called me, I had to come. 
And I asked him, when will I know that I have been forgiven? And the Baal Shem Tov said, you will know that you have been forgiven when you hear your story in the mouth of someone else and your story and their story become one. What an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. So, sorry, that was supposed to be a quick fire question. That was my fault for uh, <laughs> for asking you a follow-up to the quick fire question. So, second quick fire question. Can you recommend any good books or websites or blogs or podcasts about storytelling where we can go and learn a little bit more? I would say immerse yourself in fiction. Yes, there are technical books. There, If you Google, you'll find books on storytelling and healing on various aspects of it. But it's immersing yourself and paying attention. I think fiction will lead us in. And there are so many sites. I also co-wrote a book called The Halo and the Noose, which has 100 stories in it. It is available online. It says it's uh, in the context of business storytelling and story listening, but it's for everybody. And they small pithy stories that take a minute and a half to tell, but they speak volumes. They create a huge conversation, which is larger than the story. It's, it's William Blake to see a world in a grain of sand. The story can be a grain of sand. In the whole world is encompassed um, in that. Super. And, uh, and speaking of, of you and, and the books that you've written, um, where can we find out more about you? Where, we, where can we find your writings? Where can we connect with you online? I like personal communication. So I'm very happy for you to share my email and also my cell phone. If anybody wants a Saturday morning story, they just need to let me know and add me to their WhatsApp contact list. I have a blog, dorianhorrofblog.co.za, and I also put out a monthly newsletter on storytelling and on writing. Once again, dorianha at gmail, D-O-R-I-A-N-H-A-A, the first three letters of my surname, at gmail.com, dorianha at gmail.com. And then I'll add you to the monthly list. It also has what's on where, because I also do Zoom, apart from hands-on face-to-face uh, retreats. Amazing. And your your the books that you've mentioned so far is The Writer's Voice, The Halo and the Noose. They can be found online. Um, wh- where else can we find any of your publications? Uh, most of them are kind of out of uh, out of publication already, but. On my site, there is a listing of poetry books, and I've also written for children. Unfortunately, the writer's voice is not uh, online, but the halo in the noose uh, is. I wrote it like 20 years ago, the writer's voice, the workbook. But I think there are ways and means of getting it around and about. I'm always looking for people who are traveling over the waters, and they're able to, and who are happy to take a book. And that's perhaps the quickest way rather than trusting the post. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, Dorian, um, I think I was right at the beginning when I said I think my head would explode by the end of this conversation. There's so much going on in my head now that I need to go away and unpack, and I'm sure it will be the same for uh, for our listeners as well. So I want to say thank you for sharing all of that wisdom and uh, and being able to package it into um, such uh, such lovely stories um, and uh, and allowing us to be able to allow our subconscious to go away and uh, 
and spend time on that uh, as well as some some real kind of quick wins and quick nuggets there particularly like the creativity plus imagination equals healing so thank you so much for spending time with me today and uh, and sharing all of that with us thank you paul thank you for the platform thank you for you in your enthusiasm i can't do this alone it is the quality of the audience or the hearer that brings forth the creativity in the teller and it's in that exchange that stories are born so i thank you as they say in norway pusen tak 1000 thanks thank you you have a wonderful day you too thank you thank you just a quick reminder that my book rule the world master the power of storytelling to inspire influence and succeed is now available you can get hold of your copy in all good bookshops including amazon and kindle waterstones and wh smith in the uk barnes and noble in the us and all good bookshops throughout the rest of the world thank you for joining us for this episode of rule the world be sure to rate review and subscribe to the show and visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities that's weareopusmedia.com thank you and see you next time hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 